The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Lee, and it's my this one? This one? it's my great pleasure to introduce Miyoshin Kelly here tonight at Common Ground. Um, Miyoshin is currently a senior instructor with Tergar International meditation community, which is the community um, led by the Tibetan teacher Yonge Mingyur Rinpoche. And they happen to be headquartered here in Minneapolis um, with the Tergar community here. And I've been a part of both the Tergar community and Common Ground. So I'm very happy to be able to announce Miyoshin tonight um, because I think she's a tremendous teacher and I'm just you know very glad to for everyone here to have the chance to listen to her. Um, Miyoshin began meditating at a very young age, like in her teens, um, and began attending retreats in, uh, around the age of 20. Um, she studied in Zen, Tibetan, and Theravadan traditions, and for many years lived at, at IMS, um, and was trained as a teacher there, and taught at the Forest Respu Refuge there, um, she's also done retreat and actually ordained um, at one point in her life as a nun in the Theravada tradition. And then later um, became uh, a student of Mingyur Rinpoche, and the rest is kind of history. <laughs> so um, just, you know, on a personal, from a personal perspective, I just wanted to say that um, Miyoshin has um, really just, for me, been such a wonderful teacher and mentor. Her generosity of heart, uh, her sincerity, and especially kind of her openness to um, really, in a sense, letting go of self so that she can respond to each individual or each group, you know, kind of as they are without holding on unnecessarily to, you know, kind of preconceived ideas. I've really felt that um, in her presence many, many times. So um, with that, I'll just turn it over. Thank you. Thank you. So is the sound okay? You can hear? Yeah. Must be a good sound system. I can't tell. <laughs> so really happy to be here. I started coming to Common Ground before I ever dreamed of living in Minneapolis. <laughs> Some years ago when I was at uh, IMS, I would sometimes come to this area. So it's always been a place that's very dear to me, even though I don't come that often. Um, and so tonight, what I wanted to talk about is uh, stepping outside of our self-made prison. And I know that Rebecca Bradshaw was here a couple nights ago, on Thursday night, I think, and she talked about no self. And I'm sure she came from a very different avenue, which is great because self can seem so solid, so real, so me, this is the way I am, and uh, <laughs> we can get so bound in it, and it can be so painful that it's really helpful if we can have different ways of exploring it. And I think that um, my teacher, Mingyur Rinpoche, does talk, use this language of, of how we have a self-made prison that we live in. And that in my own experience of meditating over these years, it certainly has felt true to me. 
that there is ways that I can construct reality that actually keep me imprisoned, that keep me from feeling any sense of freedom, any sense of openness, that keep me into feeling a very contracted place of I, me, mine. And so it, uh, you know, it's central in the Buddhist teachings to really see that that I, me, mine is not an accurate reflection of reality. And that by being able to see through that, it is that we get to step out of that prison. But so a few things about the sense of self first. You know that in our lives, I think it's pretty natural that this sense of self starts to become very solidified. You know, there's some great beauty in looking at a newborn baby, and you don't see that. You know, you see just a wide open space in a sense. And then what happens as we live our lives is that we can become confused by what we're seeing, that we don't see clearly, and that out of that confusion, we start to act in ways that are about trying to protect I, me, mine. And, you know, on one level, here we all sit. We all have different bodies sitting here. We have unique characteristics, unique ways that we have of expressing ourselves. So what's the problem in that? Well, the problem really comes in when the ideas that we have about how things are don't match reality. And then we suffer. And so, you know, for ourselves, we can have really limited beliefs of our own capacities and capabilities. You know, that, I mean, how many times in your mind have you defined yourself in a way that is related to an emotion that's arising? I'm a really angry person. I'm a really sad person. I'm depressed. And we start to really solidify that. We start to make that be permanent. You know, and you know, whatever happens, I'm an angry person. Someone comes along and you know, they, there's a bit of irritation, it cements it more. You know, and we keep cementing the idea of who we are. And it really becomes binding. And then, you know, sometimes you know, we, we can feel insecure about who we are, and we might try to you know, puff ourselves up, be something more. And, and then out of that, we have to keep maintaining some kind of image. And it's tiring. It's exhausting. And it doesn't allow the natural radiance of our hearts and minds to be there. You know, it doesn't allow ourselves to be, you know, the, to, to tap into and know the qualities of love, compassion, wisdom that are our essential nature. Instead, we contract around this being that is really experiencing, you know, transitory experience, but solidifying it, you know, in some way taking it to be permanent. Taking things to be permanent is really a basis of misperception. And that's just one aspect. We take things to be permanent. We take things to be singular. 
I am me, separate from everything else, and I am independent. You know, that, that we can have this sense that there is something that is singular, independent, and permanent that is me. And that doesn't match our experience. You know, so, so what happens is things change. And that's just the way of experience. All phenomena is in its very nature subject to change. And so, you know, one day we feel one way, we feel good one day. I'm really happy. I'm good. And then the next day, we, our body gets sick. And, you know, it's hard. We're tired. And it, it, we're pushing ourselves in some way. You know, and it's painful. You know, we have these bodies. They age. You know, and we can take it as a personal failing when we get sick, when they start to break down. And, you know, but it's just the way things are. We also, you know, put ourselves in these boxes of singularity of who we are. Actually, where I notice this the most is when I go to visit my family, and they see me as if I'm still 16 years old. You know, and it's like, hey, <laughs> lots has happened since then. <laughs> so, so, you know, we, you know and, and when we look, um, there's just so much influencing, changing all the time. You know, that there's really nothing that is standing independent. You know, that it, we're in this interdependent relationship with life, whether we like it or not. And that when we try to make something solid, real, unchanging within that, it doesn't work. And it hurts. You know, and so part of what meditation helps us to do is to begin to look and to know, to see for ourselves. What we start to do is we look and see how we create concepts that bind us. And in the seeing that, that that is how we find freedom. And it's not that, you know, this sense of self, we did a little bit of exploration of, of that at the beginning of the practice period. But it's not that suddenly, you know, all thoughts are gone, everything's gone, and there's just this wide open space. But it's that we get to know concept as concept. We don't take concept to be the truth of how things are. So what happens when we don't see clearly is we're getting fed information all the time, and it's very conditioned. You know, we carry with us the conditioning from our childhood, from the culture that we live in, from um, beliefs and values we picked up along the way, from our how to say, the, the challenges we faced in life and how we reacted to them. You know, we can construct the world to be a very unsafe, horrible place. We can construct the world to be made up of people who actually are quite lovely, um, who underneath their, their actions, you know, ha have this humanness to them. And, we're, you know, we might have a compassionate response but we're always constructing reality in different ways. But we, we do that in a way that often it's based in misperception, not seeing clearly, 
and then we live as if it's true. We live as if this is the way things are. And then we suffer. You know, it gets really uncomfortable, painful. And out of this sense of living confined within a small me, then we start to feel separate. We feel isolated. We can feel lonely. And it's painful. So by beginning to pay attention to these constructs, we don't get rid of them, but we start to see them for what they are. We start to begin to see the element of perception. You know, that in, in any moment, we are perceiving different experiences. And that perception is deeply conditioned. You know, it's based upon um, how we experience things in the past. So, you know, if we, someone gives us a piece of chocolate, and we've had a piece of chocolate that we really liked before, it's like we will have one reaction to it. If someone gives us a piece of chocolate and in the past we got sick from chocolate, we'll have quite a different perception when we see that chocolate. And this happens with all the different things that we perceive in our experience. You know, even when we meet new people, you know, there's a whole catalog judging system that can come in that can be related to the clothes a person is wearing whether it happens to be clothing that we like, appreciate, or that we think is, <laughs> means that you know, they're on the fringe in some way, that they don't have very good taste, that, or they're overly indulgent, or whatever. You know, there's, it's just this, this cataloging system that comes up with all these different pieces that relate to so many things that we've seen in our lives. And then out of that, you know, just meeting someone for the first time. There can be, um, you know, that person might remind us of somebody that we knew that looked like them. And we start relating to them as if they are that person, you know, even in subtle ways. So, so there's just so much loaded into perception. And mostly, we don't even see this. We aren't even aware of it. And so then it's really likened to how we can have rose-colored glasses on, yellowed glasses. We wear them, and that's how we see the world. And we forget that those glasses are coloring how we see things. And so then what happens is we believe those perceptions. They become reflective of truth. And like I know people here meditate a lot, uh, have been probably been doing a lot of practice. And out of that, one of the beauties is you get to see all of the thoughts that arise in your mind. Do you want to believe all of those thoughts? <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> if your mind's anything like mine. I mean, it's one of the things that we begin to see as we practice. You know, I, I remember having someone come in one day and saying, could I be having my neighbor's thoughts? <laughs> you know, it's like they just... You know, it sometimes seems like the trash, trash bin. You know that they're, they're, the mind will think anything. You know, and yet, through not paying attention, not seeing this, 
we believe those thoughts. They start to paint how we see reality. And so through our practice, we start to be able to see perception as perception, thought as thought. And you know, wh- when we start to see that, we can, we can actually question some of our beliefs, some of our assumptions. And you know, we do this from the perspective of mindfulness, awareness. You know that this isn't just an intellectual thinking about analyzing our experience, but it's really looking closely in any moment where there is a sense of I, me, mine. What's being identified with there? What is it that we're taking to be self in that moment? You know, I'm just, in some moments we'll see, you know, the body starts to experience some pain. You know, and then there is a whole story about me and the pain. You know, and it's my body. And, you know, it just becomes very concrete really quickly. And certainly one of the things that I have seen through my own practice from having done, you know, a reasonable amount of retreat um, and, and having practiced over a number of years is that very often I can be sitting and there's pain in the body, you know, and in one moment it's so strong it seems like, you know, this is it. I'm going to have to get up. I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to uh, change my posture. And in the next moment, it can be completely gone. You know, that, that if, it, if we don't solidify around these experiences, then it's often just a passing sensation that is strong in one moment, but conditions change, and it's gone in the next moment. And so, you know, th- that learning to relax and be with the physical body and not, not glumming onto it in a way that contracts it into many of the patterns that we have, but instead being able to relax, let, let things flow through, let life flow through, let energy flow through. We also find that, you know, very often we identify with our thoughts. You know, that when we have a thought, we think it's true. We believe it. And we don't stop and challenge it. We don't just stop to look and see, is this really true? Instead, we take it on. We live as if it's true. And how many times have we done that and got into trouble? You know, where we, we just believed something to be true, didn't even look, and then acted out from it. I mean, I just see it in little ways, you know, what, <laughs> little ways of not ever being too sure which direction I'm going in. But getting in my car, thinking I'm going to go to a place, and just thinking I know how to get there, but then realizing when I'm partway there that I don't know how to get there. <laughs> you know, little things that we do in our lives. But then when we have thoughts about people and we make them concrete, we make them permanent, we know what that feels like when people do that to us. It's really hard. And it's, you know, not fun. We do this with emotions. You know, whether we 
take our emotions to be who we are. And very often, you know, if somebody asks us how we are, it's in relationship to the emotions that we're experiencing. You know, on a day when things are pleasant, light, I'm really good today. When things are, you know, going hard, you know, we're frustrated, we're angry, disappointed, you know, I'm not so good today. You know, we totally identify with those emotions as being who we are. You know, and some people identify more with the thought process, some people more with emotions. But we really take them to be ourselves. And, you know, our world becomes so limited when we do this. You know, it, it binds us. But this is where the really good news is, that all of this comes from our conditioning. It comes from the building blocks of self that we have made. And because it's been constructed, it can be deconstructed. And that deconstruction is really through awareness, mindfulness, being able to see these experiences for what they are and not taking them to be who we truly are. And when we do that, you know, it's, it just has that sense of finding freedom. You know, that we can see this in small ways where, you know, we're in these moments where we get caught in anger and we don't become the angry person. We don't identify with that, but we recognize that there is discomfort that's present. There is something we're not at ease with but we allow ourselves to be with that. And it can be, you know, often anger is arising in when there might need, there's a need for more clarity. There might be something that needs to be addressed. And if we can stay present, open, and aware in that, rather than collapsing and becoming that state of anger, then it's, we sit in a place of infinite possibility where the voice of wisdom can shine through, where compassion, love is present. You know, and it becomes a really different felt experience than when we have contracted into becoming something, being something. So, in our experience, it's a very simple, on one level, practice to do. To do as we did at the beginning of the meditation period, to look in any moment. You know, you're struggling in some way. Just look right there. What is being identified with? What are we taking to be self in this moment? And, and just seeing, you know, letting, and this is where we just start to see the rose-colored glasses, the yellow glasses. We start to see that that's there, that the lens is being colored by that. And then, you know, as we see that, it, if it's a belief, a view, opinion, we can challenge ourselves. Is it really true? Would somebody else see it this way? You know, and just open up the space a bit. 
You know, we are fixated on this is the way it is, but open it up a little bit. Is this true? And sit. Listen. You know, in our practice, it's really helpful to have a sense of listening. You know, that, that it's developing a relationship with ourselves, our experience, the world that is listening. You know, and in the listening, when we're really listening, there's an openness, a receptivity. And that's where we can begin to see things clearly. We can begin to see, to know experience as it is. And this is the whole heart of practice, to be able to see things clearly, to see the, the true nature of experience. This is the meaning of vipassana, to see the nature of reality. Because when we see the nature of reality, we also are in touch with our essential nature, that we get in touch with these qualities of love, compassion, and wisdom. So we don't have to you know, sit for five hours and have some big experience to do this. We can do this in little moments in our life And we can use all of the patterns that we have, all of the beliefs that we have, all of the ways that we feel stuck. We can use these to help us step out of our prison. And that's when we really rise to the challenge of bringing our practice into our life. And you know, there's a sense that often in life, we come across difficulty and we want to sidestep it. We want to go where it's easier. We want to go where um, it's more pleasant. But if, when we are going into life and we hit something where we can feel there's some friction, some discomfort inside, if we pause there, that's a moment where we're not free. You know, that if we really just follow habituated patterns, we can be cementing that prison even more. But if we look, what is it right here? You know, and, and really looking in a tender, with a tender, open heart. What is, what's the suffering in this moment? And just look, be, allow, that sense of listening. Letting life speak to us. Letting, letting our, our experience be vitally alive. You know, and not just when it's good, but letting it just be what we can wake up to in this life. And of course, we don't want to keep feeding the bad habits, the, the habit, and saying bad, the habits that keep perpetuating suffering. It's not that they're bad, bad, but it's that they aren't leading to that freedom of heart. And you know, there are ways that we have of perpetuating the cycle of suffering. And through our practice, we're trying to wake up and get to the root of that suffering to find that freedom, to find that openness of heart that is at ease and at peace regardless of circumstances. So it takes interest, 
to do this work. I'm in interest in, in where I'm stuck, where these knots are. But you know, just having being curious, what's happening here? You know, what's happening when <laughs> that contraction of self happens? What happens when you know we are sitting and sitting in the front of a room and talking to a room full of people and you say something really stupid, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, it's like, what's happening right there? You know? Some idea of how I should be, some idea about oneself that one has identified with. And if we can just see that that's all it is, let it go, the space opens up. So uh, having an interest, curiosity, having uh, an openness of mind, you know that that if I mean let this exploration of who we are be dynamic. You know, don't sit here thinking we know who we are. Let's moment to moment we can look in our experience. You know, really. The Dharma is pulsing through our veins in every moment, the truth in a sense. And this, we can wake up in this body here and now with what is happening. So, so looking into our own experience rather than thinking we need another experience, a different experience. And really letting awareness guide us. Be letting awareness, this knowing quality of mind, this natural knowingness that we all have, you know, that comes about in these moments when we look and we're just there. We know the experience. Let it be unfiltered. Or seeing the filters. That's where we begin, really seeing the filters, seeing the constructs of mind. Just letting that be known. Resting in the power of awareness. You know, there's, there is such a power in this mind that knows. And in our lives, we recognize, we, we see the power of the mind in what we can actually do in our lives. And, you know, the power to create wars, the power to do violence, the power to love, the power to have an open heart. You know that it really depends on what we turn our minds toward. As the Buddha says, that's what we'll reap the fruits of. So with that power of awareness, when we turn it towards seeing the nature of reality, this is wisdom. You know, and this is what frees us. And this, it's not that we create the wisdom, it's that we recognize the wisdom that is our true nature, that is our inherent essential nature. So, you know, it's if when we're doing this inquiry, this investigation, it's like looking in our own experience and letting it be there, letting it speak, letting it be seen, letting it be known. You know, I think. There's even a way that we hide from ourselves, you know, through, through feelings of shame, guilt. You know, we just, you know, because we're identifying with certain experiences, that that 
that sense of hiding can come in. And you know, even if that's what we see, that's okay. That's really okay. You know, I, d- I feel like it's just, it's like we have to air our dirty laundry, in a sense. But that's how we will come to see w- what's there when we don't take all of these misperceptions to be who we are. When we don't take these misperceptions to be self, I, me, mine. It's by being able to see perception simply as perception. And, and the perception naturally was conditioned by the events of our lives, by the things that happened, by the moments of confusion. And that, but it doesn't always reflect reality. You know, it's said that in, you know, in most experiences that 10% of what we see is, is really true and 90% is just our construing of reality of around it, our misperception. So, so learning to just know perception as perception. You know, and this, you can see the freedom that comes in moments where you know, we have a moment of sadness. And we know it's just sadness. And we can recognize this is what sadness feels like. And we just let it be there. And we know it's a conditioned experience. You know that it's arising. You know that maybe um, someone that we really love said something in a harsh way to us. And we felt sad. You know that it came out of circumstances. But all of that is changing. And it, it isn't our essential nature. And we don't have to take it to be I, me, and mine. And so, in just seeing how our experience is colored in any moment, and, and really, actually, this level of perception can get more and more subtle. You know, sometimes the, the, the perceptions are really strong and it can be clearly seen, but sometimes the sense of I is very, very subtle. And it could be we were sitting meditating. It could have been my awareness, I'm aware, you know, where we reify awareness itself. We reify a sense of knowing, and it becomes a very subtle level of stickiness in the mind. That, that when we see through that, when we really begin to see the mind that is free of concept, that is not caught in the confusion of the conceptual mind, when we see that, we, that's where we begin to touch into our essential nature. That's where the mind can become unbound, where we lose that sense of duality, where the self, the I, me, mine, isn't the central reference point. You know, very often, as we sit here in our experience, everything is being filtered through I, me. You know, I, I think that's true. I don't think that's true. 
I think, you know, it's just all relating. And in our lives, you know, we are the main characters in our own movie. You know, we're the star in our own movie. You know, and, and that's when it's being filtered through I, me, mine. But when that is seen through, that, you know, it's not that we fall into a void. You know, that, that's kind of where no self, I think, can be a scary word. You know, that no self, oh my, zombie? <laughs> what happens when that's gone? When all of those constructs, which have been how we have kept ourselves feeling safe, are gone, what then? Well, then we are in touch with these capacities and capabilities that are our essential nature, where the qualities of love, compassion, and wisdom can manifest, can be, you know, our, the way we live our life, our responsiveness in the face of suffering, where we're, pu- you know, that, that the pull of the heart, rather than being confused, has this, this capacity to move, to act in a way that helps alleviate pain. Or when we live with an openness of heart that allows other people to be there, to connect, to, to be seen. You know, greatest kindness can be to see another being. You know, just to allow them to be as they are. But we don't see that when we live within this constructed prison of self. You know, so the practice being that of deconstructingness, that of being deconstructing it through being able to see it, to know it. If we don't know it, if we don't see it in our own experience, then we live as if it's true. You know, it's those rose-colored glasses or those black glasses or whatever glasses. So the first step, being able to see. You know, and this is where when we hit suffering, just looking. What are we attached to or identified within that moment? Being able to see this with a lightness of heart, being able to touch it in our experience and not be bound by it. You know, it's not as if, you know, very often we can see something and then go, oh, yeah, I really am a horrible person. That proves it there. And that's not it. You know, it's, not, it's really just allowing this all to come into the light of awareness. And out of that, you know, we step into a very different relationship with this life, with this world, and you know, just it's like, in one sense, it's really coming a sense of coming home, you know, coming back to who we truly are, and not the self that we keep building up in ways that imprison us. Okay, so. I'd like to open it up um, to some dialogue. And I don't know if you have any comments or questions or anything that you'd like to share in relationship to this. And we have a microphone. And just to remind you that these questions are being recorded. 
And that means that if you, whatever you might share, could actually end up being of benefit for others. Because we have so much common shared experience. And I know many times in my own experience, I don't have the language for it. And then I hear somebody say something, and I go, oh, yeah, that's what I'm experiencing. That feels true. So, so you really help others when you have the willingness to share. Thanks so much for coming. Um, um, I was interested or struck by something you said and wondering if... Um, so as we construct this sense of self and we try to solidify this, we think it's going to make us safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have this misperception that that is safety. Yeah. Um, is that... Yes, that's yeah. very true. And so what happens is we just have a misperception about what's going to bring happiness. Mm. And we do this over and over in our lives where we are looking for happiness outside of ourselves. Mm. And so we are looking to construct reality in a way that is dependent on all of this changing phenomena being a certain way. Mm. And we set ourselves up. I mean, we we can't find happiness in that way. Mm But we, we do it, you know, it's not that we, we're not doing this from a bad motivation, but because we think that that's what's going to help us out of our confusion, mm-hmm. out of our not seeing clearly. And so this is where, you know, just through the power of awareness, being present with our experience, it helps to clarify. We help, it helps us to see more clearly. And, you know, it's like we start to see in these moments where we're grasping at something as if that will make us happy, that will keep us protected, but we actually see, no, that's not true. We can let it go. Yeah. Hi. So I'm sort of new to the whole concept of Buddhism and all of this, um, so I'm, this might just be my own confusion, but I'm wondering what the ultimate goal is in terms of the no-self idea. Is it to actually, as much as you can, lose yourself? Or is it to be able to, at times, sort of see the relationship between yourself and reality, as you've said in your talk tonight, so that you can see how being in yourself affects your perception of reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So in some way, it's both. That, you know, when the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree, he found a level of freedom that wasn't dependent on life being a certain way, that was no longer being confused by all of the different experiences, appearances, that we have in our lives. But that was all, it's like it was all still there, but it was no longer confusing. And out of that confusion, there is a freedom that's found where one is in touch with one's innate qualities, one's essential nature. And, but the path to doing that is not that we try to become a better self, 
but that through our practice, we, one, have a sense of potential, of possibility, which really is, as we begin to examine our own desire for happiness, that, you know, that this is something that we actually see as driving us in our lives all the time, even if we're looking in the wrong direction. But that what, out of that, it's like it, with, we're within that very experience, there's almost like a knowing that happiness is possible or knowing that a sense of you know, really being at ease, at peace, that not, a, a mind free of suffering, a mind free of confusion is possible. There's some kind of pull in us that has a sense of that. And so out of that sense of possibility, we use our experiences to help us to come back home. So we use our very confusion. We use the places where we get caught in suffering to find the mind that is free of that suffering. You know, and that's very much what the, the Buddha did in his life is you know, he, he really began to recognize the truth of suffering. There is suffering, that there's a cause of suffering, and that's um, grasping and clinging, and that there is a possibility of freedom from suffering, and there is a path to realizing that. And so it's a, it's a journey in our experience. And, and the big piece that meditation can offer us is that it helps us to begin to shift our relationship to experience from you know, either being chasing after, trying to get what is good, to pushing away that which we don't like or spacing out when it's neutral, but we actually begin to use all aspects of experience as a support to awareness, as a support to seeing clearly. And so that begins to shift how we relate to the world around us. Um, thank you for coming. That was a great talk. Um, how do you, I like struggle with finding the balance of how do you like value yourself so that, well, what, through losing, like letting go of yourself, you're saying you're more open to wisdom, compassion, and love and able to see that. But then how do you maintain some sort of self so that you're also open to that from others and open to feeling love and compassion from others when sometimes that might feel selfish to you because mm. you've wanted to let go of self so much yeah that makes any sense yeah it's a really because you question. need some sort of self to feel what there you know on one level there is uh, a relative self you know that you have a different body to my body. <laughs> you know that there is this unique, unique karmic lump is sitting here. <laughs> and how to say, it isn't as if that disappears, but the relationship to it changes. And so one of the things that can happen is that is our own ideas about what that would look like if we weren't so bound in um, a sense of self and that we could then you know, not be open to love, compassion, that, that we um, you know, have fear about what that would look like that actually are just fear thoughts. 
that aren't reflective of what that is like. And there is a way that we do want to have a healthy sense of the relative self. You know, that it, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of this body. It doesn't mean that we don't do things that care for body and mind. You know, that, that to, to not respect that would be more trying to annihilate self. Mm-hmm. And what actually is included when the sense of self is not so tight is love, compassion, and wisdom for this karmic lump as well as that karmic lump that can receive love from another karmic lump. You know, so it, it, and it's really being able to live within that world of interdependence in a way that is much more responsive. There's a lot more clarity. So when we practice, we don't want to use the idea of no self in a way that is more annihilating, because that is not helpful. You know, and that can lead to, you know, I think that's a place right into spiritual bypassing, where you know it's all it's like it's all empty anyways. But that isn't what emptiness is. You know, emptiness holds the fullness, and so. Um, In a moment of caring for oneself, it's caring because caring is what's useful. You know, it's, it's not about, it's, it's like that responsiveness, you know, the moment where we're, there's, you know, a sadness, a tire, whatever it might be we're struggling with, but they're, when they're just allowing that to be, you know, it's as if, you know, awareness is not cold, it's infused with, with love and compassion. You know, it's almost a sense of that, that rather than that contracting into self, it's allowing it to be everything to be held within that open ease of awareness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Back in the back there. Good evening. Um, this is a very complicated subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but what strikes me about it is that. It's, it's not surprising to me that most of us, given that we're born into a kind of a consensus reality, that we feel pain, isolation, confusion. And one of the things that I saw this week, a friend of mine posted something online, and there was one image where there was this human being in the middle of this circle of all different kinds of life forms. And underneath it, it was labeled ego. And then next to it was another panel, and the human being was in this, in the circle with all the other life forms. And I think, um, as you said, you know, we're individual kind of bags of flesh, but from my own experience of like being in a lot of different cultures and communities, what I keep finding is that when people share their deepest life story, somebody from across the world can find some piece of themselves in that story mm-hmm. and feel connection. Yeah. And the indigenous people that I've interacted with, 
what they value is balance and harmony. And it's kind of important to have a multiple consciousness where you can be in your body, but realize you're a part of all of this. Mm-hmm. And we're made of the same matter. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't know, it's easy for me to get lost in all of this. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there's something profoundly beautiful when you can have this sense of, oh, I'm related to everything and everybody, animal, vegetable, mineral. I'm of the same substance. Mm -hmm. And I need to walk step by step, breath by breath, with this awareness that these are all my relatives. Mm-hmm. and we're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And maybe the reason is about just coming to this awareness of this profound, intimate oneness amongst all things that are in crea- creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I'm Don. And uh, I had this experience, and I was, uh, uh, and thanks for the talk, by the way. This is great. It's a kind of a, just a, feels like a fresh breath of air. Um, this kind of freedom uh, to aspire to. Um, but I was, I was kind of thinking as you were talking about these filters of that this is coming through the self or I, mind, me. Um, I had this experience today. Uh, where I was uh, actually sharing a personal story. And um, I don't know really what happened, uh, but at the end, after I finished my talk, um, I I sat down, and I don't know if the, the assistant I was with did something, but it triggered shame. Mm. And all of a sudden, I could feel myself in front of an audience, like melting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just becoming disintegrating. The shame was just... You know, and I'm going, well, and I felt so vulnerable because I was in front of an audience. And it's like, mm-hmm. so I'm going to have a meltdown, like, right in front of everybody. And um, I kind of wish at the time I would have imp- implemented a filter and said, okay, this is, I'm taking this to happening to me instead of just this experience happening and let it go and uh, let it flow and uh, see what happens. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know if I would end it up laying on the floor I don't know <laughs> I felt like I was just melting though like a wax doll yeah. and I said Don um, you're gonna have to shut this off somehow or something and um, I thought so I have some techniques I don't know if they're so helpful and I, I think next time I, I don't know if I'll use it but I said you know that was the past um, and now that moment is gone and so now we're in a new moment it's yeah. a new moment and then the response that came from me though uh, that kind of shut off the melting, but then it was like I had this very strong urge to be redeemed. I needed I needed some kind of redemption to get back in the horse on the saddle, uh-huh. and I didn't get that opportunity because my assistant took over. <laughs> so now I'm just this babbling, you know, babbling, no good for nothing, mm. melting, you know. And I just so then uh, uh, I just joined in on this song, and uh, I kind of pulled myself out of it. Um, but then afterwards, uh, I, I had just un- a connection with the audience. Eight people came up to me, and they were saying, 
oh, you know, you touched a story. My brother's going through this, this person. And it was like I just felt so, you know, like a part of the congregation, actually, mm. just be part of it. And uh, and I think the residue, though, that was carrying on is like, gee, when I show up tomorrow for work, I'm not going to have a job. <laughs> oh. And I think, and I'm like, is that you know, I'm going, is that real? It's like, right. but I have to tell myself, it's like, you know, because the initial response that I got from my boss was, you know, oh, that really touched me. But I'm thinking, I'm not going to have a job on Monday morning. Mm. They're going to say, no, thanks. You you can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's just, but it's interesting about the filter. I never yeah. thought of yeah. letting that experience go. Yeah. And say, it's not, it's not me. It's just, it's not, it's happening to me. It's just going. Let's, let's go, let's ride this. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. 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 It's not easy being a human being, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I just... I just hope that we can all just keep turning up for ourselves in the best way that we can, you know, in, in the only way that we know how to do. And we, if we just keep open to learning, to listening, it, you know, my teacher always says failure is the mother of success. And he says if we fail and we learn from it, there is no failure. You know, so that's what's important, having our eyes open. And we just do the best we can in our lives. And then, for me, it's like doing the best you can and letting that be enough. Because often for me, being a perfectionist, doing the best I can, but I should do better. You know? So it's really, how can we rest in what we're doing and let that be okay? And again, it's, it's aware, coming back to awareness, being, allowing. And, and awareness can accommodate anything. And awareness isn't like, no, you're not good enough to be known. No, awareness will know it, and that's okay. Can you know, we be as kind as awareness is? You know, in the, in the piece I think that's kind of missing that it just dawned on me as you're talking is the compassion piece. Mm. That's kind of missing, and yeah. I just like, oh, can you, this is just, just a great experience. Uh, yeah. It was hard, Yeah. but it's like, where, where's the compassion now? Yeah. It's like, oh, honey, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Great, thank you. Okay, so I realize we're at the end of the evening, and it looks like um, Tom has some things to say. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.